This evening we'll be reading from Hebrews 9, if you want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 9. We are continuing to think about the mode of baptism, and uh, I had planned on uh, covering that whole topic last week up until the day of preaching, and then realized we'd be here for like 45, 50 minutes of a sermon, split it in half, and something happened because of that. I had my sermon notes all out in front of me, I preached the first point, and then I tried to skip over the second point and split the application up to fit with what I'd preached, and that's always a hard thing to do, and so that the result of that was I glanced down, I saw Ezekiel 36, and I said something that was untrue. So here, here's the apology I, I promised this morning at church, the correction. I made the comment last week that Ezekiel 36, I believe it's verse 25, which says, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean, uh, pure water and you will be clean. I, I made the comment that that sprinkle word there is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, from baptismo to baptize. Um, and that's not true. It's the other word uh, there, rano or reino. You can kind of think like rain. Rano, sometimes it has an I in it, so it's reino um, to sprinkle. And so what I said was wrong. That doesn't mean it's irrelevant to the discussion. I, I hope to get back to that tonight. Um, but it does not say uh, the word baptism there in the Greek translation. So if some of you ran out to your Baptist friends and made your whole argument against immersion based on that text. You have to go and apologize for me. Um, but we'll continue thinking about baptism today. Last week, uh, we, we started with, I, I said I want to be thinking about statements that are just thrown at me in conversation uh, without really defense of them, as if it just proves a point. And the first one we picked up last week was, uh, uh, often I'll, I'll hear people say, well, uh, in the Bible, baptism is done by immersion, and the evidence is Jesus came up out of the water. So that's what we looked at last week, was those texts, Jesus came up out of the water, and we compared that to a parallel language text, Acts 8, where uh, the, all the same things happen, uh, only with the plural. Philip and the Ethiopian go down into the water. And when Philip had baptized the Ethiopian... Then they both came up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit did something. Well, th those are all the same elements that are in Christ's baptism. And so, as, as we saw last week, the language he came up out of the water doesn't actually speak to the, the mode, the, the application of water itself speaks to uh, coming up from where you have been baptized. So I think I used the illustration last week of um, uh, me going down into the water with Shay. And after I baptized her, she got up out of the water and Caleb got down into the water. And then I baptized Caleb, gave him his sister's middle name. But after I had actually baptized him, then he got up out of the water and I got up out of the water with him, right? So the going down in and the coming out doesn't actually speak to the baptism event. The event was, in that instance, by immersion, right? It, so, so Christ coming up out of the water doesn't disprove that the mode was immersion. It simply doesn't prove it. You have, it. 
it doesn't say anything about it one way or the other. And so that can't stand as a, an argument for mode one way or the other. That was the main focus last week. This week I want to move on um, to another thing that people just throw at me as an argument for the mode. Uh, but before that, let's read our scripture text. Our primary scripture text is from Hebrews chapter 9. I'll be reading verses 6 through 22. This is the word of our God. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various baptisms and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testator, uh, testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. So far in the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds each day, conforming us to your Son, and 
and indeed causing us to grow from the milk of the word to these uh, perhaps more difficult topics at times. We pray that we would have unity and love, that we would have graciousness with our brethren, uh, and that we would also have a willingness to search your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this week's thing that I just have thrown at me, and this one was actually thrown at me quite recently, uh, certainly not for the first time, as an argument for immersion, is baptism, or baptizo in the Greek, means to immerse. So the, 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 the statement, us- almost never uh, defended, by the way, uh, uh, scholars will defend it, in their, in their books. But for the most part, Christians who want to argue for immersion-only baptism will argue that the word means exclusively baptism, per, uh, immersion, period. Uh, the very nature of the word. The argument goes something like, it means it, because that's what it means, and we all know that that's how it was done, and so therefore that's what it means. It's a circular argument. Now, listen. There, there's some necessary circular arguments, like the word of God, the Bible is the word of God. Why? Because God says so in the Bible. So, a circular argument isn't necessarily wrong, uh, and and I'm not implying that it is. Uh, but I I don't typically have uh, arguments to defend the claim. But I do hear a lot of people make that claim. I was sitting having lunch with a dear brother, and he he said, you know, we. did our baptisms down at the river because, of course, uh, we immerse because that's what baptism means. And uh, there are times to pick a fight and there are times to not pick a fight. In fact, maybe, I was even reflecting this last week, you know, for 2,000 years, Christians have been arguing the how and the who of baptism. And we're obviously not going to solve it in our generation. And until Christ comes back, we'll be arguing over how much water and in what format and who gets it. Why would, why would Christ do that? Well, maybe one reason is to test his true followers' unity. <laughs> Can we have unity and love and graciousness and still care about which view is more biblical, right? That's a hard tension that he calls on his disciples to have, a concern for the truth and a concern for biblical practice and also a concern for biblical love within the true gospel. And so um, here is an opportunity. So I just kept my mouth shut and smiled and we moved on with life. But, but I hear this argument a lot. Baptismo means to immerse. Just to clarify what the argument is, it's not that baptism can mean to immerse along with some other things, right? When you open up your dictionary, which I hope you still do this type of dictionary because it can't be changed as easily by a vote of a bunch of people. But, uh, but when you look at a dictionary, I assume even online, they put the one that's usually used first, right? You start with what's most common and then you work your way down. The, the point of this argument is not by people that, well, immersion is the main thing that this word means, but it could, use, it could mean other things. But it's the main thing. The, the way that this argument is used is, this is all that the word baptismo means. And therefore, obviously, 
baptism must be done by immersion. So is that, is that an argument that stands up? I'm not even going to bother pulling out uh, uh, the lexicon and looking at it because I have uh, on my shelf a, a, a very brilliant uh, immersionist scholar who argues that, uh, from, that this is the only use in the Greek and I have uh, a, a parallel scholar who argues differently. So I'm not going to bother with the lexical side of things. What I, what I want us to consider is in the Bible... Is it exclusively immersion, or can it be something else? And so, really, three things, I think, show that this statement is not true, that baptism always means to immerse. First, we could look at the Gospels. And there are three texts in the Gospel, especially, that I think challenges this idea of immersion uh, being what baptismo always means. Uh, we, we already looked at two last week, Christ's baptism, that don't say one way or the other. You, he was baptized. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't say. How, it doesn't say. So all of us could argue our point there. It, it, it's not in the text. But three other texts in the Gospels. One is Matthew 15, 2. One is Mark 7, 2 through 5. And I'm going to just read from Luke 11, Luke 11, 38. All three of these passages have um, interaction with the Pharisees about ceremonial hand washings that the, that the Pharisees did before meals. So this is what we read in Luke eleven thirty eight. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that Jesus had not first, and the word is baptismo, so had not first baptized before dinner. So we have these instances scattered throughout the Gospels where, where Christ offends the Pharisees of his day because he doesn't do a baptism. What did they mean by that? Uh, were they offended because Jesus didn't go immerse himself in the Jordan before coming to dinner at your house? Take a bath. Jesus, you've been out in the hot countryside preaching. Maybe take a shower before coming to my formal dinner. Is that what we're being shown? Uh, it's actually not. One, that would have been a very rare thing. And even the Pharisees didn't go and have a full bath before every dinner party they went to. It just historically just isn't how that worked in the ancient Near East. Now, but more than that, we're actually told what these this washing or this baptism is. It's not something we find in the scriptures. It's something that the that the Jewish scholars, the rabbis, had uh, started uh, before um, Christ came to earth, and it was in wide practice at that time. And that is a ceremonial hand washing in which uh, water was poured over your hands. So it wasn't even like a scrubbing like we do. It was ceremonial. Water was poured over your hands. 
and it represented being made clean. We find this actually in uh, the Talmud, which is the rabbinical text, the primary place where uh, all the Pharisees went for their rabbis teaching on things. And there it states that the ceremony was done by pouring water over the hands. And it wasn't sufficient to be called an immersion. It's a pouring. So right there we have a, a major question for saying that baptism always means to immerse because the Gospels there are, are using the word baptism to talk about something that everyone in that day knew was a pouring ceremony, not an immersion ceremony. And so the Gospels themselves don't hold up this argument. Um, but then what about the Old Testament? I referenced last week the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And there are quite a few uses of bapto or baptismo. In If, if you want kind of a, a, thir- a short book on baptism, actually Asher and Peter were chatting about this. The very paragraph I was thinking of, I had notes of it in my sermon. And last week the two of them brought this up after church. So you can... You can borrow that book from me if you want a more thorough look at all the uses, uh, including, for example, Isaiah 21.4, where it's talking in, in the Hebrew, it talks about uh, the idea of um, something almost poured out on, poured out, it's fear, that, that fear is going to fall on you, and uh, it's this idea of, of fear being poured out upon you. And when they translated that, they used a, from the root word of baptism. So there's another example of a, a pouring kind of concept. Um, you can read John Murray about that. Uh, you, you can read a number of others. Uh, there, there is the use of it in connection with uh, the, the, um, the soldier, uh, Naaman, who had to go and uh, dip in the river seven times. Uh, that is the one point where I, I'm not sure I'm convinced by Murray uh, that uh, it, it isn't immersion. I, I, I think he, he may be, uh, I'm just not convinced by him. I think that may be an example of baptism as an immersion. But, but Murray act, argues against that, so you can read that and then come and help me figure out if I'm right to think he's going too far there. Um, but then there are a number of instances in Leviticus and in Numbers and Exodus, where the word is used, now, often it's used of a ceremony, and in that very ceremony, you'll have two words used together. You'll have some version of the word baptism, that baptismo or bapto, and you'll have that other word from Ezekiel 36, reno or rano, uh, which speaks, speaks of sprinkling. We're going to look at a couple of them in a moment. Um, but uh, there are just a number of these in the, the Mosaic books. And in these, you have these ceremonies in which there, there is a, a dipping of something. That the word baptismo or bapto will get used there to, to signify something being dipped in blood. But then there is the event of what is called the baptism, which is when that thing dipped in blood splatters people or sprinkles people with the blood. And that's where that other word, sprinkle, reno, comes in. Uh, But the whole ceremony that is being talked about with both of those words 
is referred to by the Jews as a baptism. And so there, there are a number of these. Uh, Leviticus 14 and 16 have a kind of a concentrated section. When I'm the only one not distracted by him, it's time for him to leave. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Leviticus 14 and 16 have a concentrated area of a number of these events in which there is a washing, and that washing includes the dipping of something, the, that's the bapto word, and that dipped thing then sprinkles the people or the house or the tabernacle or, or so forth. In fact, uh, the one I always find most impressive here is Leviticus 14:51 where we read, And he shall, the priest shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, the living bird, and dip, there's bapto, them in the blood of the slain bird, and in the running water, and sprinkle, there's the version of reno, the house seven times. So it's a baptism of the house, but the house isn't immersed. It's sprinkled from something that gets dipped in, and, and those two words side by side, uh, I, I think, is a very powerful uh, text. So, so there are a number of these. I'm not going to unpack any of those anymore uh, because we're going to unpack it with the third argument why baptismo cannot simply be viewed as immersion. And that's our main text tonight, Hebrews chapter 9, which is an exposition of this whole concept in the New Testament. You'll have noticed, because I was very on the nose with this, that verse 10 of the text speaks of various washings, and that's the word baptismo, uh, or from the root of that. So it's various baptisms, and this is a section speaking of the symbolic stuff that was around to point us to Christ until the time of Reformation, that is, until Christ appeared. So there were the food laws. They were to point us to something about holiness and separateness in Christ. And of course, after Christ ascended, he tells Peter, kill the bacon and enjoy it. Uh, There is that removal of those food laws in the book of Acts. And then there's the various baptisms and fleshly ordinances imposed, again, until the time of Reformation. Well, what are the various baptisms? If we just read that by itself, and if we know that the word baptism is there, we might really say, what in the world is he talking about? But the following verses show us, because they're showing us the difference between what was the various food laws, the various baptisms, etc., and what is in Christ. And so in the verses that follow, he presents us with several of these texts from the Old Testament. Um, just for the sake of time, I, I didn't think I can improve on this summary. So hear what Joseph Moorcraft says about this section of Hebrews 9. He writes... Um, In the rest of Hebrews 9, after verse 10, where he uses the word baptisms, the author specifically refers to three of these Old Testament baptisms. 
first in verse 13, he speaks of the sprinkling of the blood on those who had been defiled. Referencing Numbers 19, 9, 17 through 19. Second, in Hebrews 9, 19, he speaks of the sprinkling of the book of the law and all the people with the blood and water. Exodus 24, 7, Leviticus 14, Numbers 19, and third, in Hebrews 9.21, he speaks of the sprinkling of the tabernacle and its vessels with blood. Exodus 24.8, Leviticus 5.11-13, Leviticus 17.11. Immersionists should take note that the Old Testament baptisms in all of these cases were performed by sprinkling. End quote. In other words, as we, as we look at how the author of Hebrews looks at these various baptisms of the Old Testament, he's referring to these ceremonies as baptisms. The whole ceremony is referred to as a baptism by the author of Hebrews. And then when he talks to us about it, he uses the other word for sprinkling every time. That's a powerful argument that in the mind of the author of Hebrews... Immersion wasn't assumed as what baptisms mean. It actually takes it further. I I said that these arguments I'm making last week and this week both show that uh, the the claim uh, can't be made, uh, the the argument for immersion can't be made from uh, the arguments presented. But I think Hebrews 9, we could actually take it a step further and say, Hebrews 9 challenges whether immersion, which can be a translation of baptism, is even the predominant one we find in Scripture. Because you see, I, I would argue if, if you remove coming up out of the water as actually speaking to immersion, and if you remove the word having to mean immersion, well, that's simply not biblically the case, what is the next argument for immersion? Like, I can only really think of one that has ever stood out to me that I've heard, and that is the argument from Paul that you have been buried with Christ in baptism. I hope to come back to that text. It may be after Christmas. Sorry. But at some point soon, I hope to come back to that text. Per- personally, I think that's the best argument uh, an immersionist has ever made to me, although I disagree with it. But I, I think it's, it's the best one. But other than that, I'm not sure you have any other arguments from the New Testament that would actually argue for immersion. But Hebrews 9 makes it rather clear that there is a strong feeling in the New Testament that the word baptism as a ceremonial washing is closely tied to sprinkling above anything else. In fact, if you think about baptism, now you are buried with Christ in, in, his, uh, in baptism. Think about what Hebrews 9, 16 through 22 shows us. Because these verses also tie these Old Testament ceremonial sprinklings in with the idea of death, the death of Christ. Unless the one whose testament or will it is dies, it's a whole separate sermon on testament versus will there, but unless the person dies, you, you don't get the, the benefits that are in the will. Let's just leave it there for simplicity tonight.
But look what the argument is then for the death. It's ceremonial sprinklings. In fact, all three of of these examples, I'm sorry, two out of the three examples of Old Testament sprinklings given under this definition of various baptisms appear in these verses. Speaking to us about the importance of Christ's death if we are to receive any benefit, cleansing, or washing. And in each case, very clearly the concept of being sprinkled. And so that's actually where I think Ezekiel 36 does actually say a lot to us about baptism and how we view it. Because Ezekiel 36, Christ is saying, remember all those sprinkling washings, those ceremonial baptisms of Moses? You realize what they failed to do. Circumcision of the flesh fails to do something. Jeremiah had already earlier in the book of Jeremiah, and Ezekiel refers to this as well, spoken, uh, uh, repeated Moses saying, you know, the problem with outward uh, circumcision is your hearts aren't circumcised. And Ezekiel 36, God brings us right back to that thought. And he says, you know what the problem with all those, those sprinklings that the priest did of the blood on the tabernacle, on the, the book of the law, and on the people every day of atonement, what was missing there is your hearts are still stone. But Ezekiel 36, then God says, I will sprinkle your hearts with pure, and he, he changes it. It's not blood this time. It's pure water. And you will be clean. And I will take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. Now, now if we, we get, can get a lot out of that just as New Testament saints, without all that mosaic background to it, we still can get the idea of a washing or a, a heart transplant. But when we take it in the context of, of these words, 36, I'm going to baptize your heart, which of course is what the New Testament will speak of when it talks about the washing of renewal by the Holy Spirit. And so as we tie all these things together, I think the conclusion we can draw from that is the biblical view of baptism has more evidence for the idea of a pouring or a sprinkling for baptismal washing than for immersion. Doesn't rule out the idea of immersion, and this is this is important, I, I think, to note. I, I really want to note tonight. Um, because why have a sermon on mode? Usually we want to get to other question. Who gets baptized? And a lot of people don't care about the mode as much, but it, it is an important thing to spend time on these challenges and these these thoughts about immersion versus sprinkling. Because For example, the London Baptist Confession of 1689, which is a phenomenal confession. They took Westminster and they changed a couple of parts, specifically the one on baptism. It's a great confession. From a a credo-baptist, a believer's Baptist perspective, there is no better confession out there. Uh, And yet notice what it says about immersion. It says... Immersion or dipping of the person in water is necessary to the due administration of 
the ordinance. You catch that? It's necessary to have immersion or it's not baptism. That, that's a serious question then, isn't it? Because in this room, some of you were immersed and some of you were sprinkled. And so it's rather important to know if some of those don't count, not based on who it was done to, but based on how it was done. That's an important question. It's an important question for uh, the majority of you who are members of this congregation because your pastor was sprinkled. So is your pastor baptized or not biblically? That's, that's a serious question to consider. I'm not trying to make light of it. It really is serious, isn't it? Best Baptist confession ever written says, no, Nathan's never been baptized. Westminster Confession, which we read earlier, has a little bit of a different take on this. Remember 28.3, we read dipping of the person in water is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. I love how, how precise they tried to make that. Because the second half does put an emphasis that the people writing Westminster clearly thought sprinkling and pouring were more biblical in mode. Uh, They are the the proper uh, way of doing it. But first they qualify, not that immersion is inappropriate, but that it is not necessary. And I think that's really important because all three continue to be legitimate baptisms if, all of the other parts of how we go about baptism are done biblically. All the stuff we haven't talked about yet. And I think Westminster was doing a wonderful task there of seeking unity in wisdom to say immersion isn't fully ruled out. We don't think it's the main thing that's emphasized in Scripture, but it's not ruled out. That's important to me because two of my happiest moments at Christ Church have been baptizing Ben and baptizing two of you in this room. Wonderful days and fully legitimate baptisms. And actually a number of you in this room were immersed when you were baptized. Is that a legitimate baptism? Absolutely. It's why we don't re-baptize at Christ Church if someone comes out of a different tradition. And so this is an important question. It's an important question, but it's also important because all of this sprinkling emphasis of Hebrews 9 shows us the richness of what baptism represents, the cleansing done that all the blood of bulls and goats could never accomplish. All of the blood of Leviticus failed. But the sprinkling we receive, the washing of renewal by the Holy Spirit, applying the work of Christ to us, success. And there's, that's not that an immersionist view doesn't have that concept, but there's a richness when we 
pile on all that Old Testament imagery and see the, the fullness of this washing picture in the Old and the New Testaments. And indeed, John the Baptist, speaking of Christ's baptism, speaks of it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And rem- remember what Christ said about the Holy Spirit? That he was going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. That's baptism language too then, isn't it? Pouring out. But of course, that's only baptism language. That's only regeneration language. If baptismo can mean also pouring and sprinkling as well as immerse. There's a rich sacrament we're given here by our God. And I pray that we'll, sac- uh, that, uh, we'll meditate on our own baptisms this week, each of us. Meditate on the richness of what we receive from our God throughout scripture regarding your baptism and more importantly, your inward baptism.